If you enjoy this podcast, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and visit our website at lifebetweenthevines.com. You know, during harvest, per se, I'm not at one particular winery from dawn till dusk every day, you know, the first grape in, the first grape out, being there, but I get the chance to kind of step back a little bit and be part of the process uh, in some regards, but not as, you know, not as close as I was. Discovering and tasting wine shouldn't be a homework assignment. And we believe that the people who are closest to wine have the best stories. So open a bottle. And welcome to podcast number 583. This week we feature Melissa Burr, founding winemaker, Stoller Wine Group, Willamette Valley. last visit with Stoller Wine Group's Melissa Burr was way back in March of 2018. Needless to say, we were well overdue to catch up with this extraordinary winemaker. Melissa's new title is Founding Winemaker, and after 20 years with Stoller, she's grown a long way with this winery. I caught up with Melissa a few weeks ago to see what's new with this exceptional wine group in Oregon. A lot has changed in six years. Haven't been up to Oregon in in a little while, uh, but today we are there by phone, and today on the phone with Melissa Burr, and she is the founding winemaker at Stoller Wine Group. How are you, Melissa? I am doing just great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good to be talking to you again, and uh, well, it's been since 2018 since we last met face-to-face. Yeah, yeah, it's been a little while. It feels like longer than that. Yeah, well, it's kind of funny how time seems to move. I think COVID messed up our sense of time. You know what I mean? Certainly. It definitely did. Well, I remember my trip up there because it was just so much fun. Seeing the property was uh, really incredible, and a lot has changed. And we'll start with your title. You are now the founding winemaker. Uh, Tell me about that uh, change in your role at Stoller. Yeah, sure. So I am thrilled with the change as I have been along the way. So I've, I've been with Stoller for a little over 20 years now, and it has been continuously about change and growth, which I really truly am honored to be a part of and appreciate that. And so my title now as founding winemaker, what that means is uh, I will be continuing to work with wines, of course, I'm a winemaker, and it's my passion, and it's uh, what I've been doing for over 20, almost 25 years in total now. So I'll continue to keep keep in touch with our wines, you know, work with our very talented wine team on some blending and trials and just development of our wines in general. But I am stepping back from the day-to-day operations of the winemaking and focusing on representing our five brands that we have as part of the Stoller Wine Group, both in the national market and as well with our local market, with our wine club members and our guests and trade and media. That's something that I enjoy doing and I've done for a long time, but I'll be doing even more of that going forward. And so, again, I'm thrilled about the opportunity. It's really fun for me to get out and to travel. You know, for instance, I'm getting ready to go on a trip to Florida next week for a week and work the market there and kind of hop around all over the place with our 
our national sales team, and uh, and also you know work locally. So that's what founding winemaker is all about. We were working as a team to come up with an appropriate title, and it was somewhat of a challenge, honestly, because I'm you know I've been with a company for so long, and I'm very. Um, very involved with it, and just what what does that title mean? That I'm that you know what is it? What's the right word for it? So, yeah, founding winemaker, and in turn, we have promoted Ben Howe, who you'll be talking with here pretty shortly. It sounds like to vice president of winemaking, so he will be overseeing the day to day winemaking operations across the company, which is a great role for him, and I'm really proud of him and excited for him and uh, the future of our company. That's great. Well, congratulations on the new title. And I think founding has just such a a weight to it uh, in a very positive way because it does indicate history. And 20 years at any winery is pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's gone by very quickly. And it is, yeah, again, it's been a really wonderful opportunity. And I've put a lot of time and energy into the wines and developing the wines and truly just care about all of them and all the people and uh, happy to be part of the ever-evolving story that we have here in Oregon with our wines and our community, as well as, you know, staying with the Stoller Wine Group. That's great. Just kind of talking about this 20 years for a moment. Um, These days, in many different markets, winemakers, you know, gosh, even five years can be a long time sometimes, but 20 uh, that's got to be real hand in glove for you, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, for what that, what it, what it is, is just it's part. It's a big, big part of my life. You know, I've twenty years. A lot of obviously changed in so many ways in the world, but certainly in the Oregon wine community and in a vineyard itself, um, with wine making um, experiences, all of it. So. Yeah, it's there's a weight to it certainly, and it's impactful, and it's something that I keep saying the same thing in a way. But I'm very honored to be a part of for so long because having the opportunity to be with one company that focuses on estate-grown fruit and work with one large estate vineyard in the Dundee Hills, which is the Stoller Vineyard, seeing that same vineyard over 21 different vintages. That there's a lot there, you know. I, I have seen the colder growing seasons. I've seen the, you know, all warm, warm ones, and all different types of things. And I've been able to be a part of, you know, watching these vines age and change. And it's just, it's really fascinating to me. And I think it's, it's been a really rich experience that I keep building on. And I feel like now, you know, just being a part of it for so long, I'm able to really tell the stories of the wines and the place and the people because I've lived through it and it's, it's part of who I am. Sure. It's obviously a very family effort, which is really, really cool. Um, let's just walk through the brands real quick so our listeners know exactly uh, what you have up there. Obviously, there is Stoller Wine. And uh, what else? Yeah. So Stoller Wines, uh, that's you know founded in, by Bill Stoller, who's a third generation Oregonian. And he also this entire time has co-owned Shehalem Winery, which is right down the road in Newburgh, Oregon, Willamette Valley as well. So he was partner 
with Shehalem for over 28 years. And as of 2018, Bill owns Shehalem Winery entirely. So he bought out his partner, Harry Pierce and Nedry. And Shehalem is one of the five brands that is part of the Stoller Wine Group, which the company formed in 2018 during this acquisition. So Stoller Family Estate, Again, wines focusing on the estate vineyard that Bill Stoller owns in the Dundee Hills. Shehalem Winery uh, focuses on fruit that's grown in the Shehalem Mountains, as well as some fruit more broadly grown in the Willamette Valley. But the Shehalem Mountains um, is where the Shehalem Winery resides. And then we have two brands that we started in 2018 as well. As we were expanding our facilities and we have space and equipment to take on more volume, we decided to start a brand called Chemistry. So Chemistry is a name that Shehalem Winery has had for quite a long time. They had some wines made under the Chemistry name as a second label to Shehalem, in essence. So we continued that and expanded on chemistry, and what we've created is is affordable luxury, I like to call it. You know, mm. we're, we're working with Willamette Valley fruit and Oregon fruit more broadly now, quality vineyards in our state, and offering wines that people can access at a price point that isn't prohibitive as, as, uh, as much, uh, and the wines are delicious. So it's really a good way to get our quality out to people. So we have Pinot Noir, we have Pinot Gris, Chardonnay, a sparkling Pinot Noir Rosé, and we also have a Sauvignon Blanc under the chemistry label. So the Sauvignon Blanc is pretty new for us. Chemistry has been going since 2018, and the Sauvignon Blanc is our second vintage coming up this year. We source the fruit from Washington State. And we've also recently added for chemistry a delicious Cabernet Sauvignon. So a host of varieties that we source um, for that brand. And that is something that you'll find in some grocery stores and some by-the-glass programs across the U.S. So that's a a growing part of our portfolio that we're really excited about. And the other brand that we started in 2018 is called Canned Oregon, which is delicious wine in a can because, as you probably are well aware of, that's a segment of the market that has been growing rapidly, and we wanted to get into that and offer, again, delicious Oregon wine that's portable and accessible to everybody in a can. So we've got Canned Oregon. And the fifth brand is a brand that I started in 2013, and it's called History. And it's a brand that we source some of the oldest vineyards in the Pacific Northwest. I've made relationships with growers across the state and also in Washington State looking for quality old vine vineyards to make wines from. And in doing so, I've gotten the opportunity to work with some just amazing sites. And so History is a small portfolio of single vineyard blends that showcase these old vines. And recently we've developed a red blend, and that is starting to get into the national market. So it's a Bordeaux-based red blend, Cabernet-dominated, there's some Merlot and some Malbec as well. 
And that red blend has some old vine vineyard barrels in it, and it also has some just killer Washington fruit blended in and offer that wine now to our wine club, but also on the national market. So, again, the five brands are Stoller Family Estate, Shehalem Winery, Chemistry, Canned Oregon, and History. That's incredible. That's great. I'm I'm very happy for you guys. Roughly, what is your production overall in cases? Do you have a, a an idea, or is it strictly broken down by the brand? Well, each brand has their own focus. In total, we're around 200,000 cases, plus or minus, with all five brands. So we've got three facilities that we make the wines in. So Chehalem has a winery in Newburgh, and then... Stoller, at the Stoller Family Estate, there's two wineries. There's one that was designed, and I had a a hand in designing it in 2005. It was opened, and it is a Gravity Flow, beautiful, you were there, the LEED certified facility um, on property that we make our wines in. And over the years, as we, as a brand, as Stoller, took on more of our own estate fruit because Originally, Bill Stoller sold all his fruit he grew. Then he started a very, very small label from his substantial, beautiful vineyard. Over the years, Stoller started taking on more and more of their own estate fruit. We quickly outgrew the facility that we designed in 2005. So we built a second facility in 2015 on property where we could have more room. And that's what enabled us to, in the future, start our chemistry program and our canned Oregon and expand. So it's been steady growth organically over the last 20 years to get to be where we are today as the Stoller Wine Group. And beautiful property, I might add. Uh, Just a a wonderful place to kind of just stand there and go, yeah, this is cool. I like looking around, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a bad thing to be in the wine industry in Oregon. Certainly, uh, in my personal opinion, not that I'm biased, but some of the best Pinot Noir you can pretty much drink. It's it's wonderful. I want to look at 2023 and how harvest ended for you. But, you know, the real curious question is, do you get your chance to let your hands turn red a little bit or get your hands dirty? I mean, in this role, I'm sure that'd be a challenge to find the time. But uh, how does that work for you? Well, I'm fortunate in that case because I always have the opportunity to get my hands dirty. You know, I work with the team. I'm going between the wineries. I, again, I co-own History Wines. And so I'm very involved with sourcing and making those wines. And so, yes, there's chances to get my hands dirty and there's chances to not. So it's really a great place to be. (laughs) But certainly, yeah, again, making wine is a passion of mine. I've done it for a long time and I have the utmost respect for our team. So, yes, I do have the I do have the opportunity, but it is a different role now. So, you know, during harvest, per se, I'm not at one particular winery from dawn till dusk every day, you know, the first grape in, the first grape out being there, but I get the chance to kind of step back a little bit and and be part of the process uh, in some regards, but not as, you know, not as close as I was. So I can do other things. I can do some travel. I can do go to Walla Walla and check on the history of vineyards and wines. I can, you know, I can host a dinner and just kind of be more flexible, which I, again, I really appreciate after all this time, the opportunity to continue to evolve my role. And this fits 
you know, fits me and fits what I want to do. And I can support the winemakers as well and understand what they're going through. And when we talk about 2023 harvest, what I'm always going to remember is, is fast and furious. I mean, we had a harvest, not just within the Stoller wine group, but across the Willamette Valley that came in in such a condensed fashion and in such a way that I have never seen exactly anything like it in the 20 plus years I've been in the Willamette Valley. And the reasoning was that the way that the fruit developed, I mean, we had a a very condensed bud break within such a short window because the weather was so conducive to flowering. Everything flowered at once. And then everything came in at once. I mean, vineyards that were up at 800 feet were ripe the same time vineyards got ripe at 200 feet, which is very rare. So all the wineries, we couldn't pick things fast enough. So we're kind of waiting for things to get ripe this harvest. And then they had some really warm weather, kind of mid, mid, midway through harvest time and everything got ripe at once. And so you could almost just not pick things fast enough. You just, everything was ripe, like just the light switch turned on. So (laughs) that's the tone of the harvest. The, the wines are really good. They're going to be crowd-pleasing, lots of fruit, lots of forward fruit, um, just clean, delicious, you know, wines. Uh, but, yeah, the challenge for the winemakers was literally, you know, working around the clock and just how to how to get it in all, all at the same time. But our team did a tremendous job, and Ben, you know, was at the helm leading the wine team, and he did a great job. He'll speak to you more about that when you talk to him. But yeah, it was a unique vintage that all came in at once. <laughs> that, that that would be a, a bit of a freak out for someone like me to even think about having to deal with that volume. Yeah. In terms of timing, yeah, I know some areas were early, some were late, depending. How did you time out versus what is typical, if there is such a thing as typical anymore? We were pretty much, I would say, average-ish like we weren't tremendously early or late like we got September we got everything in like September and then to early October so I think on time where originally this growing season rewind back into the spring we had a, a cool spring and a later bud break so we all thought we'd have a later you know harvest flowering and all that stuff but the time between bud break and flowering was very short and then, like I already mentioned, flowering happened all at once. Right. So it was we, we gained a lot of time in the growing season that should have been on a more normal year, a, a little bit of a later harvest for us, but that just wasn't the case. With the challenges you have as a winemaker in general, uh, weather up in that part of the world, uh, that part of the country, what are you seeing that's a, a different in any way, shape, or form? Well, what's different is that every year seems different. And there's less of a pattern. You know, it's not like maybe you could look back 25 years and say, well, we typically start picking on the 21st of September into the second week of October. Sometimes it's a little bit later. Now it seems more all over the place. You know, Mm -hmm. we've got sporadic weather and growing seasons where, like, again, this year was a, a late start and it abnormally condensed time between bud break and flowering and then everything came in at once. Um, Last year, 2022, we had, during our bud break, we had a 
a record-breaking frost event in the Willamette Valley in April where it got below 20 degrees and it actually killed off a lot of the new growth in the vineyards across the valley. And it was a huge ordeal where most of us were thinking we were going to lose, you know, 50% of our potential yields wow. because of it. Yeah. And then we had, you know, of course, the vines do a secondary and even a tertiary bud break. And so that delays, you know, the timing of your of your harvest, but also typically it's, you know, research shows that you have less fruit coming off of those secondary bud breaking shoots and things. Well, that wasn't the case because once we did have flowering and the clusters developed in 2022, we had abnormally large clusters, hmm. really, really big clusters. And everybody then now was concerned about how are we going to get these huge clusters ripe because we did have more of a late flowering and it was looking like we were not going to start picking until October, which in our region, that's risky, you know, for rains and things. And then we had a record-breaking October in 2022 with heat. We had more heat units in October than we've seen. And so that ripened all those huge clusters, and we had a bumper crop. So this has been kind of all over the place. And, of course, <laughs> we've had other events. We've had devastating wildfire events in 2020, and that really challenged us as an industry. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, every year it's just been a little something unique. So it's it's sporadic and unpredictable is what I see as the new normal. Yeah, I guess you probably get to the point where you just look forward to it being maybe a boring harvest. <laughs> Not that it's yeah. boring, but yeah. Yeah, you do. I think 2021 was a little bit, I wouldn't call it boring, but it was, it was, it was, it was tolerable after 2020's chaos. Sure. 21 was very appreciated, and then 22 was crazy with the frost. And, you know, so we'll see what 2024 brings. But every year has been unique, and that has been the norm. Yeah, maybe the word I'm looking for would have been uneventful as opposed to boring, because what you do is certainly anything but boring. Um, as a winemaker, and, and especially in this position where you are, and, and again, I've said this to you before, you're a very young winemaker in my mind, but you are a senior winemaker in terms of the industry. Uh, do you participate in any tasting groups at all? Um, I have over the years, yes. Uh, I am not currently in one right now, but I have enjoyed numerous you know, tasting groups and, and things over over the years. Now, I mean, I I have not joined one because I'm kind of all over the place with traveling. Like my schedule is never the same from week to week. And I find myself having to cancel more often than not. And that doesn't really work out too great. Right. So I do enjoy trying to taste as much wines as I can, you know, getting on the road and tasting wines from all over the world. And it's been nice working more with our national sales team and having you know, some exposure to some different things too, through, through different distribution companies and things like that. So the answer has been yes, but currently I'm not in one and probably won't commit to one in the immediate future because of my schedule. Well, it is a commitment. I mean, you want to be there depending on whether it's a small group or a larger group and uh, people count on you to be there. Has the groups you've been in in the past, have they been industry people or uh, civilians, if you will? You know, it's been both. It's been, we had a small industry group going for a while and then I have a group of friends that have done this and done casual things. So it's kind of been all over the place over the last 20-plus years. I've kind of done a little bit of all of it. But nothing right now, like I said, nothing formal. 
How about you? Are you in a tasting group? I am. Yes, I have a group of uh, seven friends who uh, we have one psalm in the group, and uh, the whole goal of it is to learn, like everybody else. Yeah, that's. And how often do you guys get together? We meet about once a month. Um, we took off some time during the holidays. I think the, the, the one thing we enjoy the most is being able to test ourselves, and we constantly flounder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the fun part. Like, there, during um, International Pinot Noir Celebration, which happens annually out here, and McMinnville, Oregon hosts it through the Linfield College, and it's you probably are very well aware of it, but it's just a fantastic event. Sure. International event, right? And so every year, you know, we've we've been part of it either as a company, either peripherally or actively involved as a featured winery. And a lot of the years we've hosted a luncheon that guests come to at the Stoller Family Estate Vineyard. And at this luncheon, we've had a panel of winemakers, and they're from they're Pinot Noir makers, right? But they're from all over the world. So we've had people from France and New Zealand and, you know, all over come, and local as well. And each winemaker will bring a wine that's featured at lunch, and we do this panel where the winemakers sit up and we all taste the wines so they're blind. We don't even know which one's ours. Mm-hmm. And you have to end up guessing what your wine is. And it's such a fun experience because... You see, you know, you, you're always humbled. <laughs> yeah. I've I've gotten lucky most of the time with with ours, but that, again, it's kind of luck because in that setting, you know, it's totally removed, and they're all Pinots, and they're all you know the same vintage from all over the world. You don't always assume it's yours is going to be standing out. So, I love things like that, and tasting groups can be similar but different to that too. Just always learning, always challenging yourself. You know, I love blind tasting for that reason, too, uh, to do that. I love that you said guessing because, I mean, that in the end, that's what it is. I've seen some very experienced wine tasters. I don't want to say go yeah. down in flames, but certainly be challenged. I know I am, but then again, it's not yeah. my full-time occupation. So it is fun as long as you're willing to say, yeah, uh, that's cool. I, I didn't get it. Well, absolutely. And you think about it, how subjective it all is, and even on a daily basis, like how you, what did you have? What did you eat? What's, how are you feeling? How high? All your senses, they're not 100% the same all the time, anyways. So all of it is just a neat experience, I think, that keeps you, keeps you uh, learning and keeps you on your toes. Yeah, I completely agree with that. That's, uh, it's great. I'm sorry, I have a dog, and he just barked. But the dog has got a very loud bark, so I don't know what he's barking about, but he's not barking a lot, so I'll well, keep going. It's, very or- it's organic. That's how these things are now. Uh, you know, That's one of the, I think, upsides. There's only a few, but like some of the upsides through this whole pandemic were just being able to like meet people where they are, like meetings and remote. But yeah, you can have a meeting and have your dog bark. I mean, we all have, people have dogs, <laughs> right? It's like, it's, I like that a lot. Yeah. Like you see all the funny things online with like a news anchor doing a, a segment and their little kid walks in. Or yeah. That stuff I think is, is great. Well, I'll be sure to tell our dog you said hi. Yes, please do. What kind of dog do you have? He's a uh, black lab with a bit of uh, golden in him, kind of like around his haunch. Oh. He's got a lot more fur. And he's the uh, sweetest guy on the planet. Oh, buddy. Yeah, well, you definitely got two of the, the sweetest dogs known mixed together right there. So I bet he's great. So I'm going to ask you a question here. Um 
I've never asked anybody this question, and it occurred to me the other day while looking through a magazine, and uh, you are the very first person I'm going to ask this question to. Do you feel... Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Do you feel here in the U.S. that we get a little too hung up on comparing ourselves to French wines? I think that in Oregon in particular, that was the case more so, oh, maybe a decade ago even, and, and, and older. But I, I'm not sure. I, I'm going to speak just from my perspective, of course, being an Oregon winemaker. What I see more so now is this dis- discovery of identity. Like we're all like we're enthralled with what are we growing and making? What What is Oregon? What is this specific part of Oregon? And that discovery process is, is very authentic. And so I think now it's more about just being about the sense of where what Oregon, what we are as an industry, what what are Oregon wines, and not comparing as much to France, but you know it's an easy comparison in a sense with Oregon looking at France. You know the climates are relatively similar, and these varieties obviously are similar, and all that rich history and amazing wine coming out of France. Yeah, of course you're going to compare, but again, I think now. Maybe I just tune out the other parts, but I, I hear a lot of conversations about what makes Oregon, Oregon. What is this sense of place? And I'm hoping that's the true of United States wines in general, you know, right? Like, what is California? And like, what are these Washington wines all about? And, and things like that. And to me, that's what makes wine so interesting, is it is this really beautiful combination of, of a place, a particular place on Earth, a particular vineyard and vintage, and it's it's authentic. So you almost don't want to compare to the other regions, right? You want to know what right. is this region. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was getting at. Uh, it happened to have been going through a wine book, which is a wonderful book, and uh, it was focused on California wines, but it was continually comparing. And after a while, it started to gnaw at the back of my head thinking, we do really stand on our own nicely in this country. I'm going to get in a little bit into the canned wine. And I, I know a lot of wine drinkers might turn their nose up to that. And those are generally people who probably haven't tried it. I've tried several canned wines and I'm always surprised. How do you feel about that when it comes to kind of getting people to open their minds up a bit more about that? Um, I think that it's similar to when I look back at getting people to try screw cap wines and recognize that these are Stellar wines can be made and using a screw cap instead of a cork. It's just this continual education. And uh, I'm happy to talk to people about it and have them try new things. That's what it's all about. But I think that canned wine has its place. And I think there's a lot of advantage to having a wine in that sort of packaging at certain times. Like when you're at a swimming pool or you're on a boat or you're off camping and you don't want this big glass bottle, you can take an aluminum can and you can share this wine and then you can crush it down and it's light and you can pack it out. So it gives people the opportunity to have a great wine in a whole bunch of different settings that might have been more of a challenge in the past. And that's what it's all about. You know, it's about enjoying and sharing and and celebrating this really neat product that brings a lot of people together and not having to have the stigma about what sort of package it is in. So I think that's what's been leading the success of these canned products is, is just that. But of course, it is very different and there are challenges that come along with it 
when you look at how you're going to consume a wine traditionally, you know, you, if you have it from a bottle, you're going to be pouring it into a glass and and recorking that bottle sometimes or recapping it. Um, and with a can, you can't always do that, especially given a larger format of a can. Uh, so it's just getting your brain used to how you're you know, you're consuming this. Like, I certainly don't encourage people to crack open a can of wine and drink it as they would a beer because <laughs> yeah. most of these wines have much higher alcohol than your average beer. And if you're getting a 12-ounce can, you're getting literally a half a bottle of wine. So you need to just be aware of, you know, of what you're doing. But I think it's, I think it's great. I think there's a place for it, and it's been proven, and there's a lot of opportunity for that in the future, just depending on how you, you know, what you're doing and how you approach it. Share it with a friend, and best of all, you can stick it in your pocket. Exactly. And you can, again, crush it down, and you can recycle it easily, and it's lightweight. So we we had a wonderful companion. We had a, a boxer for a long time. She's no longer with us, but when, when she was younger and we first got the can wine going, we our family went backpacking, and she had this little backpack that I'd put on her, and uh, I put cans in the backpack, and she hiked those in for us. <laughs> kind of like a, uh, a St. Bernard so thing. Yeah, he's just so cute. Oh, so, that's adorable. That was, that was so fun. Well, it's great that you bring him along on an event like that because they do belong with the family. Oh, of course. It is, yes, all dogs, you know, especially boxes are such, I mean, they, if I ever would put her outside, we have a big deck that wraps around our, our living room. She just would go up to the window and just stare in, just like <laughs> so upset. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> they have okay. a heartbreaking stare. They really do. But it's so intense and, like, quizzical and, oh, my gosh, just kind of creepy almost. You're like, why are you staring me down? <laughs> I think that's the thing with dogs in general is that they know so much and we don't know a thing. We're just looking at them going, like, what's going on in their brains? And a yeah. lot. Yeah. So I come to the point where I want to ask my favorite question. I ask all winemakers, and I'm not sure I did this in 21 with you. I probably did, but we'll go for it again. And I'll give you a minute to think about it. You've been in this industry for a great long time, and you've experienced all kinds of interviews, questions, uh, interactions with people. But what's the one question that you've never been asked that you would like to be asked? Oh, my gosh. That's a tough one, Ray. I don't know. I mean, I have to ask a lot of questions. I prefer to ask the questions than being asked questions of. Interesting. Wow. <laughs> that's that's don't okay. Say that. <laughs> that's actually a pretty good answer. Thanks. It's true too. I really do like to be the one that asks the questions. I'm so curious about people, and I'd rather a lot of times kind of hear hear people's stories than you know recite my own. I could see that. I imagine you get to talk about a lot of things that you do repeat. But I remember from our interaction I, how much I enjoyed it because you're such a comfortable person to talk to and fun and into this oh, wine thing. And you're a family person as well, which makes it that much more of a challenge because you've got a lot of things tugging at you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. And I've been really blessed with with being a part of this company, and that's a big part of it. Like, I've gotten so much respect from... Bill Stoller and Gary Mortensen, our president, and even my colleagues like, with balancing my family. And I've had to, I've had to say no, you know, a lot to things that I would have loved to be more a part of at the winery. But you know, you can't do everything, and you know, having time for it all is a challenge yeah. for everybody, but especially 
you know, if you have a family in addition, I mean, just the industry in general, as you know, when you're a part of it is or can be all consuming, you know, between your day-to-day work and office work and such. And then you throw in a harvest that doesn't have any time considerations and then all the events that you want to go to. But, you know, you also want to do other things with your time, too. Sure. But I like to think of being a winemaker as a life well lived. It is. It's definitely a life. It's a lifestyle job. It's a life well lived. You gotta love it, or else don't do it. But I, I think it's it's a fabulous way to to live your life. Well, those of us who love wine are glad you're doing it, <laughs> Melissa. Most importantly, for our listeners who'd like to learn about the Stoller Wine Group, uh, how would they learn about you online? There are a few ways to find us. It's pretty straightforward. We have a website, stollerfamilyestate.com, that you can shop, visit, learn about us and the events. We are on Instagram at Stoller Wine, and also Shehalem Wine has its own Instagram page as well. And then also you can find us on Facebook. So social media, website, we'd love to host you at the property. Um, come follow us. Check out what we're doing. We're always up to something. We've got all sorts of events and collaborations and dinners happening, and our Instagram is very active, showing kind of what's happening in real time at the wineries. So we would love to have you be a part of what we're doing. Very good. Well, it was really fun to be able to reconnect with you. I hope I'll be able to do that in person in the not-too-distant future, but for the time being, thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate it. Oh, me too, Ray. Thank you so much, too. It was great to talk to you. I enjoyed meeting you the first time, and again, it's really easy to talk to you, and I look forward to having you out at the winery soon. Learn more by visiting StollerFamilyEstate.com or StollerWineGroup.com. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to the podcast at LifeBetweenTheVines.com or sign up to our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Life Between the Vines comes to you from Fifth Floor Recording Company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Produced and edited by Ray Fister. Our host is Kay Pascoff. Our web geek is Dan Gisha. Original music by Ray Fister. Copyright 2024. You know, during harvest, per se, I'm not at one particular